So tonight's talk will be about freedom, and the title of the talk is What Freedom Is. One of the things that we often hear when somebody describes this path, the path of the Buddhist teachings, the Dharma, the Dhamma, uh, is that it's a path of freedom. I just, I loved that when I heard that. It just sounded, path of freedom. Oh, this, you know, even the word Dharma, it's the first time I ever heard a teacher say Dharma. Ah, this sounds so good. (laughs) You know, it's like we hear this stuff, it sounds so good. You know, they're just, they're such pleasant ideas, concepts. The Dharma, of course, is more than just pleasant thoughts and concepts, it's practice. So what is the practice of freedom? What is the path of freedom? I mean, I I heard that, you know, and it sounded great, but it was like, what is it? What does that mean? Sounds really good, right? People say, oh, this, why why are you doing? Sometimes people would ask me, like, why are you doing this? What's it about? I said, it's about freedom. No idea what it meant. (laughs) No idea what it meant. Sounded so good, though. I probably said that, like in some of the beginner's classes you took. Welcome to the six-week beginner's class. This is a path of freedom. So what is a path of freedom? What is freedom? What is freedom? So I think it's good to develop an understanding of what freedom is by talking a little bit about what it isn't. It's often the best way to understand things is to understand what they're not. So what freedom isn't? Well, this might be an example of what freedom isn't. You're sitting in the dining room. Somebody walks over to the uh, the breakfast, the uh, dessert area, grabs three scones out of there. You know, and immediately the thought arises in the mind and the thinking goes, look at that person taking three scones. What kind of a yogi is that? How could they be on this retreat? And we just chase after that thought. We don't even think about it. We just run after it. You know, like a dog running after a fire truck, right? Thoughts of aversion arise. You know, next day, you know, and after that you go, oh, geez, you know. Here I am on this retreat, and I'm really coming down on this person for taking three scones, you know. I'm going to do better. I'm going to do better. Not going to do that. Not going to do that anymore. <laughs> Next day, guy goes over there, takes four scones. He's like, I can't believe it. It's four. Like, like that, right? Like that. End of the retreat, sitting there. Guy goes over, takes three more. Same guy. It's like, I can't believe it. In eight days, he's taken 36 scones. This is unbelievable. We don't even realize it, right? We don't even realize what we're doing. We don't even realize. The thought arises of aversion. The aversion arises out of past karma. The thought arises, look at that. That's wrong. And we just chase right after it. We don't even have a choice. 
right? We don't even have a choice. It's not like we even have an opportunity to say, should I think this or not? We just think it. This is what freedom isn't. We don't have any choice but to chase after those. I was going to say scones, but <laughs> reminds me of, uh, I was at IMS a number of years ago. There are many times, of course, but uh, I always like to sit at that back table so I don't have to look at because the room, the dining I mean, we don't realize, I mean, some of you realize how blessed we are to have this dining room. We each have a table to ourselves. You know? <laughs> there you'd have like 25 people at a table like, smushed in. You know? So I would always sit in the back facing the wall, uh, but of course there'd be a row of people in front of me because I was facing the wall. So I just didn't have to look at everybody. You know? and, and essentially, so I didn't have to look at everybody and get pissed off and judge everybody. You know? <laughs> Because I wasn't free not to do that. I wasn't free not to do that. I had to do that. You know, that was my sentence. I was condemned to do that. It was, I had no freedom. I had no ability not to do that. So I would sit against the wall you know, so that maybe I wouldn't look at everybody and judge everybody. So I'm sitting there, and it's like the third or the fourth day of the retreat, and I'm my head down. You know? And of course, not even eye contact. I mean, there's just my head right in the bowl. You know, and I, they have the big bowls that I am in. I'm in the bowl, and all of a sudden I hear something. And it's the guy across from me eating. And he's making so much noise. And I go right into this intense aversion. This son of a bitch, you know. And don't they realize this is a silent retreat? What kind of manners? Where did that guy get brought up? And I just kind of peek up like this. Joseph Goldstein. <laughs> Oh, my God, what a terrible person I am. Oh, how could I even be on these retreats? Oh, making fun of the Blessed One. Oh, you know? This is, you know, I wouldn't make this stuff up. This, this, is, this is true. This, I mean, this is verbatim true. Next day, same seat, same, ex I can see it. First, second seat over, last row, right across from the water cooler there, right? Head down in the bowl. I hear something. Automatically. What is that guy doing? I can't believe somebody's eating like that. That's terrible. Joseph Goldstein. <laughs> Swear. <laughs> Powerless. Powerless. Thought arises about ourselves. We make a mistake, right? Last day of the retreat day before the last day, you know, and we're kind of, we forget about the silence just for a minute, you know, and you're sitting, you go over to the table in the dining room, you know, and the person from the group is there, and he's like, oh, finally Brussels sprouts. I'm like, oh my God. Ah, you broke the silence. Nobody's broken it in eight days, and all, you know, and it's like the judgment, right? The judgment comes up. Oh, what an idiot, and we just chase after it, right? Automatically, we chase after it. You know, we're at the mercy of our thinking. We have no choice but to chase after it. We're subjugated to it. We're subjugated to it. This is what freedom isn't. Your thoughts arise about the end of the retreat. You know, what am, what am I going to do when I get home? You know? And it's like we just go off into this tangent about what we're going to do when we go home. We chase after, helpless, helpless to do anything about it helpless to do anything about it. Even though we may not want to, right? Even though we may even see the thoughts arise and it's like, I don't want to do it and we can't help it. 
We're helpless but to chase after them. Even though we know it won't serve us. We don't have access to choice. We don't have access to choice. We're not free. We're not free when we don't have the ability to prevent ourselves from thinking. When we don't have the ability to present ourselves from thinking things that are unskillful. When we don't have the ability to not engage in those karmic patterns of thinking. You know, we're not free when we don't have the ability to decide what we want to do and then do it. You know, we're not free when we don't have the ability to decide our course and follow it in life. You know, we're not free when we simply do what the mind tells us to do. You know, where the mind is our jailer. It tells us what to do, and we do what it tells us to do. Mind says, do this, we do it. Mind says, think this, we think it. Mind says, say that to that person, we say it. It's like we do what the mind tells us to do like a prisoner does what the warden tells her to do. Like the slave does what the master tells him to do. We're slaves to the mind. We're slaves to the mind. I mean, most people spend their whole life subjugated to what the mind tells them to do, what to do. We're helpless to prevent the karmic thrust that points us in, direct, in, in the directions that it points us in terms of the physical actions we take, the verbal and the mental. We're helpless to prevent ourselves from falling into the karmic patterns. You know, we can't break free from these karmic patterns. You know, think about it. We've been subjugated to these karmic patterns most of our lives. To some extent, we know we're in jail. To some extent, we don't know. To some extent, we know, and we do everything that we possibly can to deny that knowing. That's probably most accurate. We can't break free of these patterns. We're deep, deep, deep in ruts, and we can't get out. It's like a deep, deep, deep rut with barbed wire at the top. That's how most people live their lives, subjugated to the mind. The voices in the mind tell us what to do, and we do it. Dad, you know, mom tells us what to do. Mrs. Crabtree. Those kids on the playground, you know, we're subjugated to them. You know, when I was, I said I used to move, I shouldn't probably, well, when I was a little kid, you know, I used to move around a lot. And you know, at one place I lived, uh, whenever I would come, like, to the playground, they would all sing the Doors song, When People Are Strange, you know. And it's like, I'm subject to that theme. I'm subject to that theme. You know, it's like I can't break free from that. I'm breaking free from it, but most of my life I've been a prisoner to that. I'm a stranger. I don't belong. You know, bound by the chains of that self-belief and perception. And that 
that's really what freedom isn't, right? When we're chained to the, our self-beliefs. Emotions arise, and we can't help but get, become involved. We can't help but be carried away by anger and anxiety and desire. You know, it's like being carried away by a flood, you know, a tsunami. You know, we're powerless, swept away. No power to get out of the flood, or the fast river, if you want to call it that. It's like we're in this flood or the river, and it's like we have our hands and feet tied and we're weighed down. Can't get out. Can't get out. Powerless, not free. You you know, we're not free when we go home this weekend and the urge to say something unskillful to somebody arises and we can't stop ourselves from saying it. That's being in prison. We're not free when we say something hurtful to our partner, our child, our friend, even though we don't want to do that, even though everything within us doesn't want us to do it. There may be a moment when we we realize, you know, I don't want to say that. Maybe there isn't a moment. Oftentimes we don't even realize that that's really being in prison. Not free at all to make a choice. We just act automatically. We're like robots. It's like we've been tranquilized, you know, and we just walk around, you know, the Frankenstein of our own making. We don't want to say it, but we say it. You know, we speak hurtfully. Why did I say that? I didn't want to say that. I didn't want to say that. They made me say it. Those voices in my mind, they made me say it. The bottom line is, you know, when we're not free, we have no power over our actions. And a lot of the time, we don't have power over our actions. We have no control over our lives. You know, I mean, it's, it's hard to, to look at it that way, but, you know, I think on some level we know it. You know, we ask, why can't I speak differently? Why can't I behave differently? I really want to do this. I really want to go to the gym every day. Why can't I do that? It's like somebody's holding me back. Why can't I? The mind is what's holding us back. Why can't I stop thinking those thoughts? Why can't I stop thinking about the guy with the scones? Why can't I stop thinking those thoughts about myself? Why can't I do what I love to do, what I want to do? Why can't I pursue my dreams? Who's stopping us? I mean, really, who's stopping us? I mean, we're not completely... You know, when we're free, we, we're not always completely free because there's responsibilities and things that we have to do. You know, but we can still move towards happiness. But we can't do that. Why can't I be happy? You know, why can't I? I want to be happy. 
We're imprisoned by the mind. We have little free will. You know, we're not free to do what we want. We're not free to do what's in our best interests. Let's put it that way. We're not free to do what's in our best interests, what's best for us, what leads us away from pain. We're not free to do what we need to do not to suffer, to be happy. We don't have free will. We're imprisoned by the mind, by the intentions that arise out of karma. They arise out of karma, and we just follow and do what they tell us to do. We're slaves to karma. We're slaves to past karma. Sentenced to take the same actions again and again and again. The same thinking again and again and again. The same speech, the same physical actions, the same deeds. You know, it's like Groundhog Day, right? The same thing. I mean, that's prison. The Buddhist term for it is samsara, right? The wheel of suffering. You know, the wheel of suffering. It's like, it's like that little hamster my sister had when, she was, when we were kids, you know, in the cage, on the wheel, every day. You know? That's kind of us. We, gotta, we should get this videotaped. I mean, it's like all the good stuff is getting missed on the... You know, it's the same cycles of suffering again and again, the same cycles of desire, if it's our thinking of desire or our speech or our actions or if it's aversion, delusion, the same cycles of desire and anger and delusion again and again and again. It's what the teaching's called birth and rebirth. We give birth to these actions and then through karma we give rebirth. We give birth, they pass, rebirth. Birth, pass, rebirth. Birth, pass, rebirth. This is what the Buddha was seeking to do was to, to end death and rebirth to be free of that, to be free of that cycle of birth and rebirth. The great pain, the great pain that the Buddha talked about, the tears, right? The tears that come from being in that hamster cage, the same thing over and over again. Spoke to this the other night. I don't think I had the uh, actual quote when he speaks to the monks. What do you think, monks? What is greater, the tears you have shed while transmigrating and wandering this long, long time, crying and weeping from being joined with what is displeasing, being separated from what is pleasing, or the water in the four great oceans. As we understood the Dhamma taught to us by the Blessed One, this is the greater, the tears we have shed while transmigrating and wandering this long, long time. Excellent, monks, excellent. It is excellent that you understand the Dhamma taught by me. There's the, there's the large things, you know, there's the moment-to-moment thinking that we're not free, that, we're, that we, we have no choice over in the speech. You know? And then there's the larger things, you know. We're stuck in the same job, just like I was, you know. I didn't want that job. I didn't want to stay with it. 20 years was not, I mean, the, I was imprisoned by myself, but I, was, I had no choice but to do that job. Same place in our job, maybe. You know, we want to do something different or find a different role. Or if it's in relationships. We want to make changes, but we're powerless. All the aspects of our lives. 
We have an inability to change. We have an inability to do what we need to do to be happy. We have an inability to fulfill our wish to be happy. I always wanted to travel. You know, I always wanted to go to different places. Dreamt about it. Dreamt about it, like a prisoner in jail, dreaming about the places that he'll go when he gets out. And we talk again and again about how our happiness depends on our actions. You know, we really kind of need to know this. You know, if we can take actions that are good for us, that are an expression of our wish to be happy, then we'll be happy. You know, if we take good actions. If we can't change our actions, we're just going to continue to go on the way that we're going on. You know, if you want to be happy, you have to change your actions. Got to change your karma. Can't continue to follow the same karmic patterns of thought. All starts with thought because thought drives everything else. It drives everything else. All that we are begins with our thoughts, right? So our thought drives our speech. It drives the decisions that we make about what we're going to do in every aspect of our lives. So we've got to change our thinking. I mean, this, I, I, you know, I've been alluding to this a lot, but this is so stark because I never really felt it was an imperative to change my thinking. It's okay to rank on the guy with the four scones. It's okay to you know, have an aversive thought about the new group that just came in here. It's all right to hate that person text messaging. I'm creating a karma of hate, of anger. If we want to be happy, of suffering. I'm creating a karma of suffering. We want to be happy, we have to change our actions. Our mental actions, physical and verbal actions. That's the only way that we're going to find a greater happiness, is by changing our actions. If we want a better life, if we want a greater happiness, we have to change our actions. We have to take action. We have to take action that's skillful, that's motivated by uh, the heart. Mental, physical, and verbal action. But we can't do that, right? We can't. We're not free. We're bound by our karma. So hard to change our actions, to change. So hard to change, right? I remember, this is a number of years ago, uh, probably around 2000, 2001, and uh, I got a phone call from one of, uh, somebody who I'd grown up with. We went to college for one year together, and then we both transferred. And, uh, and he happened to see my name advertised for teaching a meditation class. So, you know, he called me on the assumption that maybe I had changed, but he wasn't too confident that I maybe had, but he didn't really want to hang out with a person who, that he knew before. But he, but he said, you know, the guy's teaching meditation Maybe he's changed, you know. And then afterwards, he, he said, you know, it's like very few people ever change. You're like the only person I know who's ever changed. Now, I only changed because of the Dharma, and I've changed a lot more since then. You know, and we're, he's a very dear friend of mine. Very dear friend of mine. Today. Somebody I've known since second grade. Mrs. Crabtree's class. <laughs> the names have been changed to protect the innocent. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I mean, the Buddha's story, as always, is illustrative, right? I mean, you know, the Buddha, 
became awakened and spent, they said, 49 days in deep concentration, you know, cut off, secluded, you know. And then, you know, he came out of that and he said, well, what am I going to do? And he said, well, if I'm really going to be happy in this life, I've got to take action. It's all about taking action. So he spent a lifetime of taking action, of teaching. Taking action that came from the heart, wholehearted generosity, compassion. You know, he knew that he couldn't sit around. You know, if he wanted to be happy, he had to act. And he didn't succumb to the past karma, right? We talked about this last night. He didn't succumb to the past karma that said, you're not going to be able to do that and teach. That's going to be too hard. Because that's kind of what we do, right? You know, there's something we really want to do that we know that's going to be a good action for us and it's going to be an expression of our wish to be happy. But those voices in the mind, that past karma says, oh no, you can't do that. It's got a million reasons. All those voices, all those voices that are telling you, no, 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 you can't. You can't. The Buddha didn't give in to those voices, that past karma. Took the action. Chose to teach and he did it. 45 years. So in this practice, in this practice of the Dharma, the Buddha's teachings, which this practice of freedom, this practice of freedom, we decide what actions we're going to take and we take those actions. This is freedom. This is freedom. We decide what actions we are going to take and we take those actions. We make our path. We make our path. The heart makes our path, not the past karma, not mom and dad. I mean, am I really saying anything we don't know? What I'm really saying is that there's a way out of that. There's a really a way out of, you know, 58 years old, doing everything that mom tells me in my head, or Mrs. Crabtree, or those kids. You know, I mean, I still hear those kids. You're a stranger, you know? This is what this path is about. We make our path. This is what the Dharma is about. This is what freedom is about. Being able to take actions that bring us happiness. Having the capacity to take those actions instead of just blindly following our karma. We decide which actions we want to take. The actions that will bring us happiness. This is wisdom. This is what the wisdom of the path brings us. And then we act. This is love. We act out of love in the service of fulfilling our wish to be happy. I like to say, so this will be this year's, we can put this on the DVD, you know, this this year's slogan, you know. Knowing what to do is wisdom, and doing it is love. Knowing what to do is wisdom, and doing it is love. And we don't really know what to do because we just do what the mind tells us to do. You know, it's like Tom Jeff says, would you listen to a crazy person? Would you listen to you walking down, you know, 16th Street, you know, and there's some guy in an alley, you know, bedraggled and says, come on over here. You know, I want you to walk up the stairs in this building to the fourth floor room, you know, and go in there, you know, and would you do that? <laughs> That's what we do every day. That's what we do. Yes, Mrs. Crabtree. Okay, Mom. All right, Dad. Make it too personal, but... 
So we begin to change, you know, and again, it starts right with the breath, right? Let me look at the breath. Do I have to sit here and breathe an uncomfortable breath? Do I have the freedom to change? Well, let me look at the breath. Oh, there's ease. There's disease. Oh, you know what? Ease is better. Ease is better. I'm going to choose ease. That's freedom. That's freedom. If we look at the body, oh, the body, there's tightness, there's, you know, oh, there's pleasure. I'm going to choose pleasure. I'm going to choose what's good for me. You know, this is an interesting thing because, you know, the path is not about being with what is. You know, the path is not about let's learn ways that we can be okay with being miserable. You know, I mean, there's, you know, there's a lot of that that a lot of people believe, you know, because a lot of people believe that we really can't change. So what we're going to learn to do as Dharma students is learn to be okay with, you know, uh, our painful knees, you know, and, and, and learn to be okay with dwelling on those and suffering, you know, and, but not, and not changing. It's not what the path is about. The path is a path of action. Or as I once said to Tanjaf when we were having this conversation, I guess you could all sum it all up by saying we don't have to sit there and take it anymore, you know? We don't have to sit there and take it anymore. It's, the path is not about just hanging out. You know, it's not a path about hanging out. You know, hanging out with a painful breath. Living our whole life with a body that's tight and tense and always feeling like I'm uptight. Path is about changing, finding an easeful breath finding a pleasant abiding in the body, walking through life like that. The the path isn't about being okay with eating the bad spot in the mango your whole life. I'm going to eat the bad spot in the mango my whole life, and I'm going to be okay with that. That's not what the path is about. There's, There's a big misconception about that, right? The path is about being smart enough to throw away the fucking bad spot and eat the goddamn good spot. I'm tired of sitting here and taking it. I, I, you know, I'm like Howard Beale. You know? I'm like the Howard Beale of insight meditation. You know? Yeah, this is a process of learning to seize our freedom. You know, what did Whitman say? Seek your own at any hazard. You know, this is what we do. Little by slowly, we purposefully choose to act. And we act little by slowly. We're proactive. We don't allow ourselves to fall into the habitual ruts, the karmic patterns. And Thoreau talked about this years and years and years ago, you know, living lives of quiet desperation, walking around like zombies. The path, I wore a path from my door to the Walden Pond. I fear the men have have tried in upon it since. We shape our lives. This is what it means to be a student, to be free. Freedom is the freedom to shape our lives. Not to be okay with cruddy lives. And there's really two parts of this. I mean, you know, I'll, I'll kind of brush through this a little bit, but there's really two parts. And really there, you know, if we just keep doing what we're doing, 
will fulfill what we need to do for these two parts. The first is developing the capacity to choose. First thing is developing the capacity to choose. Typically, we're caught in the river of karma, and we have no choice but to go along with that river. So the path gives us the capacity to choose to slow the river down and climb up on the shore. Okay. So what that means is through developing concentration, you know, we can calm ourselves down, slow ourselves down enough remove ourselves enough, get enough space from what we're about to do or what we're doing, be centered, be grounded, be with the breath. You know, this really is all happening in daily life. And then look at the actions we're about to take. Be heedful. Okay, I'm about to take a physical action, verbal action, mental action. Is this skillful? Is it not? Is it leading me to suffering? Is it leading me to happiness? I mean, I'm always heartened by the fact that the Buddha taught this to Rahula when he was seven, you know? I mean, probably indicates that we can get it, you know? It's a really simple teaching, just nobody ever taught it to us before. So, it's this concentration that enables us to slow down the river so that we, as we are about to engage in a mental action that's unskillful, you know, we're about to see ourselves put down the person taking the three scones, we can see that, or at least catch it earlier on than we typically do, or at least catch it. Most people will never catch it or never realize that it's unskillful. But we are able to slow down enough to look at that action and ask ourselves, is this action leading to happiness? That's choice. Instead of being subjugated to taking that action of thinking that, we have a choice. That's freedom. That's freedom. So we slow the river by establishing and maintaining concentration through the breath meditation, through lessening our clinging to desire and aversion and to be deepening into jhana so that we have a solid ground, you know, a solid ground from which we can look at our actions and decide, are they skillful or not? So that's the first part, deciding what action we want to take, what's skillful, what's going to lead us, you know, developing that ability to pause to consider our actions before acting, not to be thrown, carried away, pushed around, subjugated by our past karma, that we're able to find a solid ground, get up on the shore, and look at our actions and say, what do I want to do? The second part is probably maybe even the harder part, which is actually taking the action. Because a lot of times we may know what the outward action is good for us, but it's really hard for us to do that. You know, we see that with the breath. It's really hard for us to allow ourselves to feel the easeful breath. Pleasure. I mean, it's so hard. I mean, I just see it myself. I mean, I just saw it in the last sitting. It's like everything in my mind is conspiring from allowing myself to feel pleasure. And all that past karma is like, you can't do this, don't do this. You know, all the negativity, all those voices in the mind. You know, there's this school of thought. This this is the Mara school of thought, although it's, you know, it's out there that, you know, that, uh, you know, that we're going to cling to the pleasure. Clinging to pleasure is the least of our problems. You know, our problem is that we can't 
open up to pleasure. Our problem is that we cling to unskillful pleasure, unwholesome pleasure. Clinging to wholesome pleasure is the least of our problems. You know, I've been teaching this now for close to 10 years, I would say, this style. I haven't found one person yet who has struggled because they cling to their pleasure. Not one, not one, that that's become an issue, a problem. I mean, people have problems opening up to pleasure, not clinging to it. People would rather sit with their pain. So we have to develop this capacity to take action that's good for us, not just to know what action, but to take action. You know, it's hard for us to do this. You know? Taking mental action. You know, we may know that we want to take this mental action that's skillful. And we want to have goodwill for another person. We want to have compassion for ourselves. We know that that's skillful as opposed to judgmental, right? How hard is that? You want to talk about something hard. How hard is it for us to have compassion for ourselves, right? How hard is that? How hard is it for us to give up our unskillful verbal action? Don't you understand? I like cursing people out. How hard is it to take actions in our lives that we know are good for us, that we really want to do, that we know are a fulfillment of our wish to be happy? Think about the actions that you'd like to take that are good for you, that are really hard. Think about the risks that you might want to take that you're not able to take. I mean, for life really to, to be joyful, we have to take risks. But the path... The path enables us to take action. You know, this is what we're training to do, to be able to choose and then to be able to take action. You know, and it, it begins really with wisdom, right? We need more wisdom. The thing of it is, is we know certain actions are good for us, but we don't really know well enough. We know certain actions have drawbacks, the unskillful actions, but we don't really know it in the heart. That's like that story I told the other day about gossip, you know. I mean, I kind of knew it was bad for me, but I didn't know it in the heart until I felt the pain, until I developed more wisdom. Or, you know, the text messaging. I mean, I kind of uh, knew that I shouldn't do that, but I didn't really understand the drawbacks in it, the karmic consequences, the long-range consequences, and how it was going to affect my life if I continued to do that, and how, on the other hand, if I developed loving kindness and goodwill, this was going to have a greater effect on my life. So we just, we lack that wisdom to some extent, but the, pro, but the practice teaches us to develop that wisdom. This is what we've been talking about. Be heedful. Look at your actions. What are the consequences of taking unskillful actions? What are the consequences of making fun of the person who takes the scones? What are the benefits in those skillful thoughts? Well, I think we're starting to see that. You know, I mean, people are coming in and saying, wow, you know, I'm taking some brightening the mind and I'm taking thoughts of goodwill. There's real benefits in that. So we need to develop that wisdom. We need to chip away. Second thing, we need to chip away at our aversion and desire in all contexts because they block the heart. They block the heart, and ultimately what drives skillful action is love. 
So the more we perpetuate desire and aversion, the more we block the heart, the more we prevent ourselves from loving ourselves and taking skillful action, action that's in support of our hearts. Because ultimately, we act out of self-love. I mean, you really want to go to the gym and work out? You're going to do that out of self-love, not because you're forcing yourself to do it. We do that out of understanding the benefits and self-love. So through the practice, we... And really, a lot of the way that we develop self-love is... There's two ways. You know, and the first way is letting go of desire and aversion because they're, you know, they're covering up the heart. So we chip away at desire and aversion and we develop self-love and we do that little by, by little by slowly taking actions that are good for us. You know, so we start taking actions that are good for us. We start developing skillful, sublime abidings in the mind. You know, we start developing skillful thinking, skillful verbal action, skillful mental action. Little by slowly, we do things that are good for us. We practice generosity. We follow the precepts. We begin to learn to love ourselves. We begin to take actions you know, that are in support of the heart. And I talked about that at length the other day, you know, and it really started for me in being able to take that action of choosing the easeful breath and choosing to open up to pleasure. So we develop the karma of self-love. You know, and I've told the story about how the more I opened up and chose, saw that the easeful breath was conducive to my well-being and chose it, the more I began to develop self-love. And all of a sudden, I started noticing that I was doing things good for myself in other areas. I was learning how to take action that was good for me. And lastly, we develop the strength to love. You know, and that really comes from equanimity that we're able to keep our spot, just like the Buddha did. All right, I'm going to teach the Dharma out of love, the Buddha said. You know, and then Mara said, oh, no, it's going to be too hard. And the Buddha said, I'm keeping my spot. Because as we move forward, you know, the, the, what's going to come and try to conspire against us is going to be fear. So equanimity enables us to keep our spot to move forward when there's fear, when there's doubt, when those voices in the mind shout, you can't do it. Why are you bothering to cultivate skillful fabrication? The breath? Oh, you're going to cling to that. Don't do that. You're going to cling to pleasure. Oh, no, you can't. You can't change your life. You know, I, don't, I wish I had my books because I don't have you know, that Mary Oliver poem, The Journey. You know, what's the paraphrasing? You know, all the voices shouting their bad advice. But we continue to move on, determined to save the only life we can save, our own. All those voices shouting, no, no. Why are you going on that meditation retreat? Don't feel the easeful breath. Shut up, Mrs. Crabtree. (laughs) You know, having that refuge, you know, having that refuge. You know, it's like if the kid I always talk about has the refuge at home and the parents, you know, you know, the kid is afraid to move ahead. He's afraid to do something. He's a teenager. He's afraid to ask the girl out. Parent says, oh, it's okay. Even if she says no, you know, I'm still going to love you. I don't even want to tell you what my mother would have said. It's like, I'll be in therapy for another 10 years. You know, it's like, you know, if we haven't had that refuge, 
that you know it's okay to love yourself, it's okay to take that action, it's hard. But we're developing this inner refuge in the breath, in equanimity, in the heart, this home within. So we're developing these skills. So little by slowly we can choose what's good for us so that we can put our mind in good places. You know, this, is, this is how we begin to, to love ourselves and assert our freedom. I'm going to put my mind in a good place. That's an act of freedom. Instead of doing what the mind tells me to do, think this, do that, say that, I'm going to put my mind where I want to put it. I'm going to put it on the breath. I'm going to put it on the body. I'm going to put it on the thought of love and compassion. Thank you. Instead of that thought of aversion or desire. I'm going to take the action that's in support of my heart. I'm going to put my mind on the loving intention to do that and do that. We develop this skillful thinking. We've been talking about this a lot, the skillful fabrication. You know, a new voice, a new voice, the voice of the heart. You know, we find our own voice that says, go forward. Do what's good for you. We find our life. We climb out of that river and we reclaim our life. This is what this practice is. We reclaim our freedom. It's not easy, you know. know? I mean, everybody else is going in a certain way. It's easy to surrender to the ways of the world, to do what everybody else is doing, you know, to follow the ways of greed and desire and aversion, gain and status and praise, what everybody else is doing. It's easy to surrender to the mass karma, and it's easier to surrender to our own karma, just to surrender to what the mind says. It's very easy to surrender to what the mind says, to the patterns, the karmic patterns. It's very easy to accept our fate, right? Accept our fate. It's what most people do. You know, instead of seeking freedom or happiness, we just, most people accept their fate and try to distract themselves largely from the fact that they're accepting their fate and not living up to their full human potential. So I'm going to distract myself with as much television, as much internet, as much smartphone, da-da-da-da-da. Sort of what the culture wants us to do. You know, keep quiet, don't make too much noise, don't really be a human being, thank you. You Let the machine run things. So most people don't choose to change. Most people don't know how. Most people don't know how to change. Most people don't know how to free, be free. Most people, as I said, don't change. You know, so, so we have to ask, you know, what kind of person do we want to be? The days and nights are passing endlessly. Time is running out. Do I want to be a person, you know, somebody who gets bent out of shape when somebody takes three scones? Is this how I want to spend my life, getting pissed off at the guy who takes three scones? getting angry at the woman who takes the hunk of napkins. Is that how I want to spend my time? Getting pissed off and jealous at the person who has the summer home. Do I want to be somebody who goes to Paris and is miserable the whole time and wants to be somewhere else? Is that how I want to live my life? Do I want to wake up every morning to the beautiful blessing of life and begin to engage in the pattern of start of another shit day? Is that how I want to live my life? Do I have a choice? 
Do I want to just keep playing out the same karmic patterns? Is this how I want to spend my time, my remaining time? This little bit of time is so precious. Am I going to squander it? Grousing about the person who took the scones? Am I going to spend it caught in desire and aversion? You know, as human beings, we're very fortunate. You know, we're very fortunate. You know, we have the ability to shape our lives by using the mind, by practicing mindfulness, by putting the mind in good places. As Dharma students, we're, we're extraordinarily important because we know how to do that. I mean, very, very, very few people will ever be given the instructions for how to be free. I mean, this is extraordinary. We are so fortunate. You know, we have the ability. We know how to put our mind in good places. We have the capacity to do that, and we know how to do that. Now, this is the essence of our freedom, being able to put our minds where we want to put it. You know, so we can do this. We can fulfill our wish to be happy. You know, whatever that means for us. You know, if it means... You know, the, the, the job that fulfills us, or if it means the way we live the day, or it means, it means the sitting. You know, it's all about where you put your mind in the sitting, right? Or if it's the walking meditation or the dining room or what happens tomorrow or the next day. And we have the ability to fulfill our wish to be happy. I alluded to this Rumi poem the other day, and uh, it's still a paraphrase. I'm kind of patching it together from memory, but it's the best I could come up with. But... <clears throat> Today, like every day, we wake up frightened and alone. Take down a musical instrument. Let the beauty we love be what we do. There are thousands of ways to kneel and kiss the ground. You know, I mean, I just, every line on that. You know, today, like every day, we wake up frightened and alone. You know, I mean, karma's going to keep arising. There's going to be pain there. There's going to be suffering. We're going to feel threatened. The Buddha had karma arising. Mara's going to visit us. But we have the skills to be able to put it to the side enough, you know, so that it's like that chair outside. You know, we have the skills so that we don't give in to it. It's going to arise. It's going to be there. You know? I mean, to some extent, it's like, you know, I said to somebody in an interview, it's like, you know, you have a bad foot. You know, we sort of have the bad foot of you being human, but we have the good mind. You know, we have the good mind. We can be happy. Take down a musical. It doesn't, you know, I know that there's some fear and there's some worry and there's some, but, you know, it's okay. You know, you don't have to get rid of all of it. You're not going to get rid of all of it. Not going to get rid of all of it. Nobody here is going to get rid of all of it. I don't see anybody here becoming an arhant. I shouldn't say that, but chances are. Maybe Isabel. <laughs> You know, there's going to be suffering. There's going to be pain, but we can still move forward. We can still take our freedom back. You know, we can still take down a musical instrument. We can still let the beauty we love be what we do. There's thousands of ways to kneel and kiss the ground. Every day, you know, find a way to kneel and kiss the ground. Every day. Nothing's stopping you except your mind. It's the 
only thing that's stopping you. We have a great opportunity as human beings and as students, great potential. So we have to see that. We have extraordinary potential. I mean, the Buddha was somebody who was interested in fulfilling his human potential. Most people don't even come close to it. You know, we, have the, we have the ability to be able to do this as human beings, but in particular as followers of the, what the Buddha did, you know, following his example. You know? So we have to see that, that we can know happiness, that we can act skillfully. I mean, what I take a lot out of this retreat, for me, is just a feeling of, and, you know, and, 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 and in being with you guys is tremendous optimism. I mean, I just feel so much optimism you know, and so much hopefulness you know, in terms of being here with you guys during this past week. You know, we have you know, this great power to have a life of greater happiness, to make a life for us of greater happiness. You know? And it just feels like you know, the things that we're talking about and the, the things that we can do in our practice are so empowering. You know, it's so empowering to be able to say, I'm going to put my mind in a place that's easeful. That after living a life of being uptight and not feeling good in my, in my body, in my human skin, you know what? I can feel good in my human. I mean, that... I can quit right now. Uh, you know? It's, I mean, I'm not going to because there's even greater happiness. But, I mean, that... I don't think I ever expected to feel good in my... I mean, I was hoping... I'm, I'm so optimistic, you know. We can be at peace in our body. Yeah. We can change the mind. Instead of, look at that person, look at this one, this, that. You know, we can cultivate goodwill, and compassion, and joy in the mind. Thinking imbued with these qualities. We can use the power of the mind to take action that's motivated by love, compassion, and joy. It requires effort, but it's really not as hard as you think. It's not as hard as you think. You know, remember what the Buddha said. This is something you can do. I wouldn't teach it if you couldn't do it. You, know, you can know extraordinary freedom. So let's just close our eyes for a minute.